Well, if I may uh, very gently encourage you back to your seats for our first reading. This is a reading from 2 Timothy chapters 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me say first farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray as we stand. Almighty Father, um, we, uh, 2,000 years later, we're reading stories, writings, Uh, about the Lord Jesus, about what it means to follow him. And Lord, these words, uh, you have been your instruments to transform lives for these past 2,000 years in widely diverse cultures, in the lives of widely diverse people, different languages, different backgrounds, different stories. And we come this morning with different backgrounds and stories 
And we ask that you will do in us what you have done in so many. Will you grant that we would truly know Christ and then truly be his ambassadors in such a way that people, other people, may truly know the Lord Jesus Christ and the life that is given? And so towards that end, uh, open our ears and grant us to hear your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Um, it'd be helpful if you turn back to page 8, Second uh, Timothy, the first few uh, lines, uh, or the first few uh, paragraphs. We're going to look mainly at the first big paragraph there in um, the reading. And, um, and we're beginning a series in Paul's second letter to uh, Timothy. We're going to be looking at it through the rest of the summer. Um, every day when I pray for Emmanuel, and I do, I, I pray for you. We, I pray for Emmanuel, and I love praying for Emmanuel. Uh, and I always ask for three things, um, the third of which, I'm not going to tell you the first two, you can ask later, um, I'll leave, leave you hanging. The, the, the third thing I pray for is that Emmanuel would have a long-term impact on the world. Um, and he, here's what I mean. I pray that in 100 years, when we're all, you know, gone a long time, that in 100 years, there would be a gospel uh, movement, a, a movement of churches in New York City uh, that uh, see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of this city, and that um, somehow what we're doing now will contribute positively um, to what's happening then in 100 years. And the prayer is not that we would be remembered. The prayer is that in 100 years and longer, Christ would be remembered well, and Christ, his beauty would be seen and described and reflected well, and that that would happen in 100 years in part because of our faithfulness now. I join you, to, I ask you to join in, in praying for that. Um, we pray for long-term impact, not just immediate impact. And um, part of the reason that we should think that way and pray that way is that our lives, very often, whether we're intentional about it or not, we end up having a much larger, longer impact that goes far beyond our lifespan. Uh, I was thinking about this this week, and I, I realized that um, a little over 100 years ago, a man I've never met, my great-grandfather, uh, decided to abandon his family and was never heard from again. Now, regardless of what he intended for that impact, um, I can see over, over the course of my family and the generations since that there has been an impact, that that impact has gone on for, for a long, long, long time, generations. On the other hand, his son, his orphaned son, just about 100 years ago, surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Um, and I can watch that impact, that act of surrendering his life to Jesus Christ has had an even stronger impact that uh, goes very explicitly right down to the present age. And actually his, my grandfather's, great-grandchildren um, know Jesus Christ and follow him in part because of what happened about 100 years ago. We can have great positive impact. We can great, have great negative impact based upon our present choices and 
that happens whether we intend it or not. Now, Jim, why are you talking about long-term impact? Because of 2 Timothy. Here's the context for this letter. This is the Apostle Paul's last letter, um, and he is writing it sitting in a dark and dank Roman prison. He's alone. He's on death row. And shortly after this, he gets his head cut off by Nero. Now, in that situation, what would you be thinking about? Do you know what Paul's thinking about? Paul is sitting there as he's waiting for his own death. He's thinking about the health of the Christian movement over the generations that are going to go on beyond his lifespan. And therefore, he picks up a pen and he writes to Timothy. Timothy was somebody that he had brought to the Lord and discipled and trained. And Timothy was now an elder or a bishop in the church at Ephesus. And he writes this letter saying, in so many words, Timothy, we need to talk about long term impact. How do you build a church for long-term impact? And so that's the theme that we're going to be tracing through 2 Timothy over the course of this summer. Um, And it's going to ask us as a church to think through questions like, how can Emmanuel have not just an immediate impact, but a long-term impact? And how can we individually have not just an immediate impact, but a long-term impact that's positive for the cause of Jesus Christ? So, today, let me ask two questions. First question is this. What kind of impact does Paul want us to aim for? That's the first question. The second question is, how do we pass that impact on to the next generation? What impact are we aiming for? How do we pass it onward? First of all, what impact should we aim for? Look at verse 1. It reads, Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, focus in on that phrase, the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, because that is a provocative thing for Paul to talk about. Why do I say it's provocative? Well, think about it. Here's Paul sitting in prison. He knows that he is very likely to lose his head, quite literally, in the next days, weeks, months, how can he possibly talk about life? The life that Jesus promises, how can he talk about that? Because he's about ready to lose his. Well, think of it this way. When Paul talks about the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ, um, he doesn't just mean his physical life, though that's partially included, and he doesn't mean uh, just life after death, although that also is, in a way, included. He's talking about a kind of life that is bigger and deeper than both of those things. And it gets it right at the heart of the message of the entire Bible. Uh, If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, uh, the story of the Garden of Eden, do you remember that? And in the Garden of Eden, you remember, uh, you may remember, there's two trees, two trees that get named. I'm sure there were a lot more trees, but there's two trees that get a name. One is the tree of life. And The other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the tree of life in that context is, it signifies, among other things, life in intimate relationship with God, life in communion with God, life animated by this close relationship of love with God as our Father. 
and Adam and Eve in the story are meant to eat from the tree of life. That was the point. But on the other hand, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You may remember that they're not supposed to eat from that. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is in a way the opposite. It signifies life that is cut off or alienated from knowing God. It's life where we try to achieve intimacy outside a close relationship with God. And uh, sometimes, uh, more often we call it sin. And uh, it, the, the problem is it, it doesn't work. Um, cut off from God, intimacy uh, tends to die and deteriorate. Um, uh, my great-grandfather, who abandoned his family, um, I expect, I don't know the intentions of his heart, but his, um, his heart inevitably works like everybody else's does. Um, and all of us, deep down, we desire intimacy, do we not? And undoubtedly, um, he thought that uh, he could find intimacy somewhere other than in his family. And so he made the decisions that he did, and he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so to speak. But the impact, probably unintended, the impact was that he ended up shattering intimacy all around him. And all through and down through his immediate family and down through the successive generations to a significant degree. And that's the pattern of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It promises something that we desire, but it can never quite deliver. Now, keep all of that in mind and go back to the Apostle Paul. The question is, what is the impact that he's aiming at right there at the end of his life? What is the impact that he wants to have on the people around him and the world around him? And the way he puts it is he's an apostle according to the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ. Another way to say that is that he wants everyone, the whole purpose of his life was that people would know that Jesus is the way back to the tree of life. He wants everyone to know that Jesus promises to give that deep intimacy we all desire, need, can never achieve, and that sin promises but can never deliver and instead kills. He wants people to know about that life that Jesus gives. Another way to put that is that Paul wanted people to know, and he spent his whole life telling people, that Jesus promises to give an immortal kind of intimacy. An intimacy that God designed us for, an intimacy that cannot die even when our bodies do, an intimacy with God that uh, will intensify internally, eternally and will be eternally satisfying to us. And it was that intimacy with God, that life that was in Jesus Christ, that drove and motivated and animated all of Paul's life. Go back to him. He is sitting in a prison. He's waiting for death. And yet, despite that, he has the hope and the courage to keep testifying about Jesus Christ. And he picks up a pen and he writes to Timothy, full of hope. He's suffering terribly, but he writes full of hope all through this book. How can he do that? How can he face death? How can he face, go through suffering and yet write in such great courage and great hope? And the reason is, that he was in the moment tasting the life that is in Jesus Christ. He knew it for himself. 
he was suffering horribly. But at the very same moment, he was loved infinitely. And that continuous sense of God's fatherly affection that had been given to him, not because he earned it, but because Jesus gave it, that filled him with courage to take up his pen and write in hope. Now, for us, what that means is, Emmanuel, this is our aim as well. What do I mean? Our aim as a church is to know that life that's promised by Jesus Christ deeply, to taste it and savor it and enjoy it, and share that life with people around us. The apostle Paul was just that. He was an apostle. His job was to be an emissary, an ambassador of this life that is in Jesus Christ. But Emmanuel is an apostolic church. We just, in the creed, says we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And it, part of what it means to be an apostolic church is to, is to say that that is our job as well. Our job is to share the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ, that sweet intimacy. We are to know it and give it. And it's a glorious privilege, and I hope you can feel that privilege. Because, I mean, when I look into my heart, see if you can identify with this. When I look into my heart, some of my very deepest desires are for relationships, for intimacy, to be loved and to love freely. And that's true of all of us. Everyone in this city desires that. It's what drives so much of what we do. Our deepest desire, even when we don't know it, is to experience and enjoy the life of intimacy with God as our Father. And if that's the deepest desire in the human heart, then one of the highest privileges we can ever have is to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ in such a way that his life begins to fill that desire in other people. That's the impact that we're aiming for as a church. So if that's the impact, how do we do it? Uh, if we want people to experience the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ, then how do we pass on that impact intentionally and well? Um, I want to show you two things in the, in the passage, two ways we pass on the life that is in Jesus Christ. One is close community, and the other is courageous testimony. First of all, close community. Look at verse 3. The apostle is speaking to Timothy, and he says, I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Now, pause there. It's easy to kind of skip over the, this bit of a letter, but don't. Do you see the relationships in those verses? Life in Jesus Christ is incubated by close, affectionate relationships. If the heart of life in Christ is intimacy, then it grows in the context of intimate relationships. Look back at the text and just notice Timothy's mother and grandmother. Um, the Apostle Paul writes to him and he says, man, Timothy, you have a great heritage. Are you aware of how great a heritage you have? And your real heritage, says Paul, is not so much through your father. Doesn't even get a mention. Your real heritage is through your mother and your grandmother. 
What's that about? Well, we know from uh, the book of Acts that uh, uh, Timothy's father appears to have not been a believer and not a follower of Jesus Christ. But his mother and his grandmother were Jewish, and then they had heard from Paul about the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ and surrendered their life to Christ and began to enjoy that promise of life in Christ. And apparently what happened is that they came home and they modeled that to young Timothy. And I think we can extrapolate to say that Timothy could look at his mother and his grandmother and he saw what it is to live a life in constant fellowship, intimacy, communion with God through Jesus. And then he could look at his father and he saw what it looks like to not do that. And over time, he was able to see one is better than the other. And that led him to follow in his mother's footsteps and his grandmother's footsteps. And just consider for a minute the impact that Lois and Eunice have had on the history of the world. They get mentioned by name in the Bible. And through Timothy, one of the early founders, not founders, but one of the early fathers of Christianity, how did these women have such an impact? They had an impact the same way Paul did. They experienced life in Christ, and then they reflected that life in close, affectionate, family-type relationships, particularly with Timothy. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, Emmanuel, it means a lot. If, if you're a Christian here, part of your mission is to be a Lois or a Eunice to other people. You are to foster close relationships in such a way that those other people are able to look at you and taste and see and get a, an advanced screening of what it is to walk closely with Christ. Do you know that that's part of your calling? And in the text, the Lord transforms through um, physical families biological families, but it's also bigger than biological families. In fact, the Lord transforms your heritage when you become a Christian. Look back at the text. Do you notice that it's not just Timothy's mother and grandmother that are sowing into them, but the apostle Paul himself sort of acts like an adopted father to him. Look at the language. Verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child, Verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. Do you notice the affection there between the Apostle Paul and Timothy? There's something very important here. Um, when we begin following Jesus and we join a church, uh, on the one hand, we always have our physical, biological family. But on the other hand, Jesus intentionally places us within a spiritual family. Timothy had his physical family that had a role in his spiritual life, but he also had his spiritual family, and together they nurtured his faith. And that's the sort of community that we need to have here at Emmanuel. Um, that's the sort of community that fosters long-term impact in people's lives. So some of us here have a, uh, our biological family has a long heritage of following Jesus, but most of us don't. But when you become a Christian, you sort of get a new heritage when you become a Christian, Jesus sort of rewrites your lineage um, so that no matter what your physical genealogy is, you become a, a child of Abraham. 
You become a member of God's family. You become an heir with Christ. You be, you're counted as royalty within the kingdom of God. And it's precious. And that heritage begins to shape your deepest identity so that if you belong to Jesus Christ, you are now fundamentally a child of God and you look around your church family and they are truly that. They are to you a family. Well, part of what I want us to see is that for us at Emmanuel, there must be no separation between our outward mission and our inward community. They've got to be held together. Um, if life in Christ is about intimacy with God, then it makes sense that Jesus uh, uses close community to pass that life onward. And so I ask you to reflect upon your own Christian experience and your engagement with Emmanuel. Um, how close are you? Are you getting closer to the community here? Or are you kind of pulling away? Are you in a home group? Or not? If not, why not? If, you're not? if you are in a home group, are you calling and inviting other people in intentionally? Our inward community, our outward mission, they always get to stay together. That's part of how the Lord brings about long-term impact. But then there's a second part. Um, it also happens through courageous testimony. Look at verse 6. Paul writes, For this reason I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. What's that talking about? Well, um, it's talking about Timothy, Timothy's ordination. Um, years before this, uh, the Apostle Paul, along with a bunch of church elders, had um, put their hands on Timothy and prayed for him that he would be uh, filled, renewed with the Holy Spirit, and commissioned for ministry and leadership within the church. 2,000 years later, we still do that. Uh, and the problem, however, for Timothy, and you can see this in a variety of different ways in the New Testament, uh, Timothy got frightened. Uh, Following Jesus is scary. You ever been scared following Jesus? Uh, if you never find following Jesus scary, then it's, uh, you, you should ask whether or not you're actually, like, actually following Jesus. Following Jesus is scary. And Timothy was frightened for all kinds of reasons. Um, Paul was in prison. People were dying around him. His church didn't always respect him well. He had a really hard go of it. And he was frightened. And Paul understands this, and he writes to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, fan into flame the gift that's been given to you, which means, among other things, Timothy, remember Jesus. In the midst of your fear, remember Jesus. When it's tempting to hold back and kind of be ashamed of the gospel, remember the Holy Spirit. Timothy, says Paul, we prayed for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always answers that prayer he will meet you, Timothy, in mission. And so it's as if Paul says, don't give up. Don't believe your cowardice, but instead believe and trust in the Holy Spirit's power. Believe and trust in the Holy Spirit's self-control and the Holy Spirit's love. And then Paul says, and then get out there and share the promise of life that is in Jesus Christ. Now, can you identify with Timothy's fear? I know that I can. I'll bet you Lois felt afraid. I'll bet you Eunice felt afraid. Q 
curious what happened in her conversations with her husband, what he thought. But can you imagine the tragedy of what would have happened if Lois or Eunice would have given up in the midst of fear? And the tragedy of what would happen if Timothy had given up because of fear, timidity. And there's a terrible uh, tragedy if, if we ever pulled back because of fear in following Jesus. Instead, we we're to do the opposite. We were to fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Um, most of us are not ordained, thankfully. Um, but the, the principle still applies. God has promised to share the life that is in Jesus Christ with us, in us, and through us. And therefore, it takes courage to trust him in that and to ask and pray for opportunities to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ to people who can't see it yet. But it sort of works like this. Jesus, I want to be courageous in how I represent you to others. But Lord, you know I'm frightened, I'm weak, I don't know what I'm doing, and sometimes I'm embarrassed. But you have promised me life. You have promised me intimacy with the Father. So increase that sense of closeness and intimacy with you. Increase my trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Decrease my trust in myself and increase my trust in you. That's the way we pray. And then Jesus will answer that prayer. He pours out his life into your heart by the power of his Holy Spirit. And as you grow in love and intimacy with God, you will face suffering. And when you face suffering and you feel weak, that intimacy with God will turn into courage and power. And at other times when you face temptation, that intimacy with God through Christ will manifest itself as self-control. And as the years unfold, as you faithfully walk in close intimacy with God the Father, the Lord will bring about fruit out of your faithfulness that you cannot anticipate. And the impact of your life will go way beyond you. And the impact of your life will go beyond your lifespan. And the impact of our church will go beyond any of our lives. And that's a good thing. The gospel and the gospel movement always outlasts us. I expect that even today, Paul and Timothy still marvel at the long impact the Lord gave them through their lives. And Emmanuel, as we walk in faithfulness and growing intimacy with Jesus and with one another, we'll get to share in that joy of seeing impact go beyond us. So, fan into flame the gift of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Savor and taste the promise of life that is in Christ. And describe to people who can't see it yet. And model it in our community. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.